0: Welcome to the School of Risk Podcast, where successful risk takers are made and celebrated. Our mission is to help you become successful risk takers. I am your host, Chizubale Gudo, and today with me on the show is Linda Jubilee. She is an award-winning journalist who has worked for the likes of Sky News, Fox News, ITV and more. She is also a media trainer and editor of River Tribe Magazine to enjoy our shows don't forget to follow us on instagram at the school of risk podcast also subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast channel such as apple podcast google podcast spotify Podbean, or any of the apps you listen to your podcast on so you don't miss out we will be there Today's podcast, we will take you through the journey of what it means to build the credibility you need to attract the opportunities that you can turn to reward that pays you. Linda and I will share valuable insights to help you become successful risk takers in whatever path you choose to achieve your purpose. Risk takers, let's go to school. Linda, welcome to the School of Risk podcast. It's an honor to have you here on the show. We go way back a few years from where you spoke at my conference, and since then, we've built a relationship and we've been working together on a, on a number of ventures. So, thank you for being on the show today. Our listeners would love, to, I don't want to say anything about you, but let it come from the horse's mouth. Our listeners would love to know who you are, what you do, and let's see how you can help them through your experience over to you Linda.
1: Okay thanks very much Chiz, Uh, it's a pleasure to be here and uh, I've enjoyed the way we've worked together since we met at your conference several years ago now, it's been an absolute pleasure working with you. Um, uh, So to introduce myself I will say that I'm um, a journalist, a writer, a broadcaster, Um, I was in with the Bricks, start of Sky News I worked as a foreign correspondent across Asia, and I moved back to this country to work on a very well-known programme called Tonight with Trevor McDonald in the kind of current affairs arena. Alongside that, I've always done some kind of coaching work in communications. So I like to characterize myself, I suppose, as a storyteller. And what I do is I help people as crystallize and amplify their own personal story, that's their own personal brand, and the story of their business, uh, the brand story of their business. So I do this in a number of different ways, but essentially, I try to get to the heart of who they are and what they do, and work out how we can transmit that across several platforms in order to instigate growth.
0: Thank you, Linda, for that. It's interesting you mentioned brand story and you know how you help companies, you know. Um, develop that why is that important and especially for the SME sector why is making your brand story an important element that you should focus on as a business owner an an entrepreneur or anyone thinking about starting up a business within the SME sector
1: I think that this is very relevant to small to medium enterprises because uh, it's all about the founder in a sense in every sense Now, the problem there is that people founders are very passionate about what they do and they focus completely on what they're doing and not about telling their story to to a large number of people that can affect their their margins, if you like, can affect their profits. So I think that it's a real pleasure to meet entrepreneurs and they're very special people, These, these people that can create wealth. Uh, successful ones are few and far between, but sometimes they neglect to define and tell their own story and the story of what they're doing. And there is an assumption that all they have to do is produce a product, but that's Mm,
0: not. Yes. What
1: they have to do is have a compelling story that persuades other people why they should buy that product. And
0: that's the important element the persuasion of people and does that come out through the story that they tell through their brand or the person themselves or I, both?
1: I think it's both. I mean, entrepreneurs vary wildly. You, you will have one entrepreneur that plans and plans and plans, mitigates the risk, dilutes the risk and then moves ahead when they're sure that they're in a position to go. You will get other far more flamboyant entrepreneurs who who will be classified as you know the the real high d's the highly determined people who will just fly by the seat of their pants and and many will fall by the wayside but there are others who will succeed i mean you think of so, so so let me think of two examples yes and they're both very very successful yes please so let's think about the Gregs, the Gregs Bakery Chain. It's a FTSE 100 company. I have the pleasure of knowing the chairman, Ian Durant, who I think is a thoroughly diligent and admirable person. And we've spoken quite a lot about how the Gregs brand developed. Now, that brand developed with a um, husband and wife, and a bicycle with a basket on the front, literally delivering the loaves they baked themselves to their community. Amazing. They expanded and they then had two, two shops uh, and they worked very, very hard. They worked so hard that in fact, they put their, their children through private school, which was incredibly difficult in their community and in that era. Um, but the the one of the boys who I think went on to study classics at um, Oxford or Cambridge, uh, decided he didn't, didn't want to see his parents, you know, exhausting themselves all the time and he wanted to grow the brand. So that, the, the secret of that for Graves was to centralise the baking. They centralised the baking and then they had five shops. When you get to that point, it's much easier in a way to get scale. And they got scale, they never forgot their core values, which is what makes them so admirable. In fact, in the miners' strike, I believe that in certain areas they reduced the price of a loaf by one penny mm-hmm. to worst-off families. So they 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 carried on going and they built something really worthwhile. And in parallel, they now run their own charitable foundation. Now that took decades, but you could look at someone like, for example, Richard Branson, and, and although he started with very uh from very small beginnings from a telephone box I believe in London somewhere. Yes, so, yes. Records. He moved very quickly and he's a very flamboyant character. And a lot of the business was developed around his character. Yes. He's very successful. There's no question about that. But you would say that he flew by the seat of his pants early on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think it's important to recognise when you deal with SMEs what type of entrepreneur you're dealing with. Then when you've done that as the coach or as the trainer, and if you get the opportunity you can help define their own brand their own personal brand and how that is attached to the brand of their business
0: of the business
1: and that's what I try and do because for for those guys for men and women who who are starting from the ground up it's really really important that they instigate some kind of storytelling which affects their margins very quickly
0: that's amazing I love The Greg story you just told here and also Richard Branson. Now, one thing that's significant between these two examples you've just given is that they started from humble beginnings, but they took big risks. Yes. And they succeeded. Yes. They started with products. And some people may say that it may be easier to grow a business based because it's product based, they have tangible um, elements like phones or whatever it is, you know, um, you know uh, bakery products, you know, such as the Greggs and things like that. What about the service based businesses where you don't have a tangible product, but well, it's I a service people. you offer?
1: Yeah, a lot of people said to me that they believe that the product, that a product, Um, led business is is more risk laden because your costs are high. You've got to have the product in order to build the business where services are concerned. I think it's from that point of view, it's slightly easier, but nevertheless, that that's not the big, that's not the the big sort of conundrum really. The point is, are you prepared to take a risk? Mm -hmm. That's the whole point. And can you identify what the risks are? Can you minimise them? And are you prepared to be a risk taker?
0: Take, absolutely, absolutely. And
1: what's underpinning that is, do you have the capacity for growth mindset? Are you prepared to fail sometimes? Do you have the courage to fail?
0: Because that holds people back a lot.
1: It does hold people back because they, um, I was on a, on a call this week with a leading um, a leading financial, a global financial services company, and I'd done a, and I had I had done a whole presentation where I defined all the difficulties and the possible crisis points, and and I hadn't really clearly defined the opportunity points. I mean, I got a chance to correct that because it was a live presentation. I can answer those questions, but you've got to be able to see that life is an opportunity. Now, when when I was a foreign correspondent and I was in China. I often used to use a phrase uh, or a thought in my pieces to camera. So the Chinese characters are all made up of components and their component for, let me get this right, their component for, for crisis is made up of danger and opportunity. So every time you meet a difficult situation, it's always got two components. It can be dangerous, but it can also have an opportunity
0: opportunity element of it, yes, that is interesting, Linda. Now, why is it so hard? I mean, we have a lot of entrepreneurs in the service base, and I want to stay on this you know service base a lot because a bit more because um there's been an explosion of coaches in the last 12 months or more. Yeah. Uh, everybody wants to be a coach now and they're offering a service, but they struggle to monetize, you know, and I've spoken to a few of myself uh, and it surprises me that people say they want to offer this service, but when, you, when I tell them this is what you need to do, they are scared to take the, the risk because they're not thinking about the opportunity, not just the opportunity. Yes, they're thinking about the reward, but they're not thinking about investing in that opportunity by taking the risk to put the money in, Mm -hmm. to give it the time it needs,
1: and every other
0: resources.
1: You're (sighs) saying that there's a lot of new coaches on the market, and that's probably a result of COVID, and people deciding to work from home, and maybe... um, move into other areas that they, where they didn't have the expertise.
0: Before. Yes.
1: But what you're saying is, it's not just that there are more coaches, it's that the people who, who think about investing in coaching are worried about doing it because they don't actually believe that there will be a return on their investment.
0: No, it's more of the people who are actually becoming coaches themselves, you know, as a business. They want to use that as a business to, uh, um, to make money for themselves, but they are not taking the risk
1: how would and how would, uh, and how would uh, what, what how would they define the risk what is the risk that they're not taking
0: to become a coach you have to have so i'll give you an example so i had someone who said to me they wanted to offer me a service they want to coach me to take my business from where it is now to 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 where it's supposed to be and i looked at their profile the career history on linkedin it doesn't demonstrate any track record of experience in that field. How am I supposed to have confidence in you that you can help me with my business? Yeah, and a lot of coaches are going to take courses, they take courses in coaching and they start teaching you know in they start trying to help people in one way or the other. I don't think that's enough because you haven't got the experience to back that up.
1: Oh, I, I completely see that point.
0: I mean, you come from a journalism background, you you you're strong in communication, you speak to people, you've spoken to you know, people of all sorts, presidents and so on and so forth. You have that track record to do what you're doing now because you have been telling stories for decades.
1: Yes, I think that's true. So if I take, for example, one strand of what I do, media training, I find it very difficult. I, if I was someone who, who wanted to be coached or trained, I would want to be trained by someone who'd actually done it.
0: Absolutely.
1: And that's the difference. Yes, it's a crowded marketplace and a lot of people have set themselves up as coaches because that's the kind of default position. If you can't do what you normally do, you can consult or, and act as a, as a coach. But that's not the same as the person who, who develops a passion for actually helping people communicate their story. That's a completely different mindset. And on top of all of that, that that mindset should be layered on top of credible experience. And it's the combination of those two things which makes the valuable coach. So, for example, if someone was coaching an athlete to do the 100 meter sprint, you would expect that person to have at least been some kind of athlete.
0: (laughs) Absolutely.
1: (laughs) And and, and I speak from experience because my own brother is an athletics coach. Now... I can look at him, right, and he's a good, he's a good anecdote, because it illustrates um, what you should be looking at when you want to hire a coach, so he is an Olympic level coach, he has uh, raced in, in UK national competitions, he was at one point Um, he did a a run with the British Bobsleigh Championship in the five-man bob. You know that when he goes down onto the track that he will understand what you're going through, even though you might be at a higher level than him athletically. You know that he knows what he's talking about. Yes. Biodynamics, he understands nutrition. um, He lectures sometimes at different universities and colleges. And in his full-time job, he's an extremely good um, research and development guy at, um, at one of the leading engineering companies in Europe so you know there's a certain level of congruency across his whole character now that's what you need to be looking for when you hire a coach they need to have all aspects of their character and their lifestyle all lined up together then you know you've got a credible person
0: that's the definer that's what makes you stand out
1: so I will coach people, and do some media training, I'll do some coaching, I'll, I'll do public speaking training, I'll do how to conduct yourself in group sessions, things like that, because I've done all of those things. So I started in newspapers, I had um, staff jobs on two daily newspapers and one Sunday newspaper by the time I was 28. So I've always kept in touch with, um, with the media landscape. Uh, Some of my friends are still in key positions now, so I I can talk with some authority about what happens there. I moved into Sky News, as I said earlier, I was in with the BRICS, I was in for the launch period, and that gave me a great insight, not just into being um, a proficient presenter, but also how you have to kind of ride the edge of chaos in a startup because that's yes. what it was it was yes and and the, and then I was able to go to the Far East where I worked as a foreign correspondent. I worked in quite dangerous situations in the field. Came back to this country where I worked on ITV's top rated current affairs program, and all of those things gave me um, a, a credibility and a platform from which I can coach. On top of all of that, whenever I'm doing any coaching, I talk about you know it, it, it's it, it's what you say, it's how you say, it, and it's how you look when you say it. So. Um, very unusually I'm also a graduate of, of um, the London College of Fashions because I was originally going to be a fashion journalist, N- not, yes. e- not in a muddy ditch in, in the Far East at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I encourage people to be at least disciplined about their appearance if they are going to try and attempt to communicate in a visual medium, whether that's on air or on stage. I think how you look is incredibly important Very. when it comes to hooking the audience in. So I address all of those things, which is, what I'm saying to you is, I wouldn't expect to be able to talk from a position of authority if I hadn't at least done some of those things myself.
0: Yourself, you've been tried and tested. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Now, throughout your journey, obviously, it didn't go without some type of challenge Mm. what has been the biggest one of them on all that shook you and how did you overcome them because a lot of people would face big problems challenges in their lives or businesses and not know the way out how have you overcome those big challenges those big problems what are they or what is it and how did you overcome it
1: i think that when i first went to Fleet Street and got my first staff job Um, it was very very challenging because it was I was in Fleet Street when Fleet Street was physically in Fleet Street and it was old school and it was tough and I was the only one of two women in the newsroom on staff positions so it it, it was brutal but I, I met really fantastic friends and colleagues there so I had a lot of support but that was my first challenge. I would say the next challenge was when I went into television because I was slightly undecided about exactly why I'd done it because <laughs> I'd, I'd had three staff jobs um, yes. in Fleet Street by the time I was 28 and I just thought well i will just give television a try now and in fact it turned out to be one of the most difficult transitions I'd made and that, and I Just
0: like, for, for the understanding of our listeners, what's Fleet Street? What's there?
1: So Fleet Street was, um, all national newspapers historically used to be in one street in London, Fleet Street, um, apart from the Guardian and the FT. So it was a tremendous community and it was very historic. Even Dr Johnson's house was in Gough Square off of Fleet Street. So it, it was historic and characterful. And eventually, it was just untenable for national newspapers to exist in that environment, Mm -hmm. because because the print works were were actually on site with their own print works, and it just didn't work. You know, it wasn't wasn't in practical terms very sensible at all. And so people moved out of Fleet Street, newspapers moved out of Fleet Street. I moved to television, and um, frankly, I did a little bit too much navel-gazing about whether I wanted to be a presenter or whether I wanted to be a reporter, and in fact, it, it, I, I, both things helped me I started off as a presenter which is unusual but that undoubtedly helped enhance my performance skills which were quite limited when I went out into the field as a reporter and after I'd been in the field as a reporter I could bring some of that credibility I guess back into the studio so that was a very big challenge that was a very big transition for me because I don't think I'm a natural performer yes Uh, i've learned to be more of an extrovert i guess but i'm naturally a little bit more introverted so that was a really big challenge um and i think but i think you know what is the biggest challenge of all is how to have a balanced life
0: it it is
1: and i'm lucky enough to have three amazing children that's wonderful and, and that was that was a really big challenge i had my first oldest boy when i was still at sky news I think he was, uh, I think I went back to work when he was eight weeks old, and he didn't sleep through the night till he was 10 weeks. So that was very tiring. Uh, My next boy I had in Hong Kong. um, I had 10 weeks off uh, when I had him. And my youngest child, um, i was still working for Fox. In fact, I was pregnant during the Kosovo crisis. And so I was in a hotel in Macedonia feeling really sick and not realising why. And, and I think at that point I thought I kind of need to pull back from you know being in the field as a correspondent. I've, I know people who do it and they just amaze me but I sort of pulled back slightly. Uh, so I would regard that, that that ability to have a life and work at a certain level is it is the biggest challenge
0: of all. That's amazing, Linda. And I love hearing this story. And I love hearing amazing stories of women like you who, you know, have the family life and still maintain your career and not just maintain it, but was also able to grow. Um, let me just spend a little bit, a, a few minutes on this. Now, there are a few women who may not have that drive or motivation, but want to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They want, to, they want to do something else apart from just being stay-at-home mothers or, you know, they want to have motivation to achieve something for themselves. What can you say to them? or what's, What was the biggest thing that helped you not allow family life, children, raising them, rob you of your achievements that you've had today? Because that could have happened.
1: Yeah, it could have done, actually. Um, but, you know, I, I, it's a question of finances sometimes. Sometimes you've just got to keep working because you've got to keep earning money. You know, <laughs> yes. Brutal. Uh, but I would say, um, you know what? I think far too much pressure is put on women to do X, Y or Z. At the end of the day, if you do feel that you're truly satisfied being at home and, and looking after your children, I don't think you should be deflected from that aim. But the truth is there are many women out there that would like to work um, outside of the home as much as they do inside the home, and I think they should be supported. And the funny thing is, cheers. I think mm. after COVID, I think that's going to be a lot more doable. I think there'll be more flexible working. There'll be more. Yes. Hours. Yes. Um, but, a, a, and that will help women. But the other thing that will really help women is to learn mental resilience, mm. because sometimes the biggest holdup when you're trying to cope with young children, you're trying to cope with your work is you're constantly swapping around between one world and another. And the other. Mentally speaking. I'm not talking about the physical tiredness. There's there's quite a lot you can do about that. You get enough exercise, try and eat the right diet. You can you can do things to make yourself physically tough. Um, someone recommended cold showers to me every morning. That's been a <laughs> really big plus for me. A three minute cold shower every morning since last December has worked for me. i,
0: I tried it again this morning. That's
1: my top tip. But, but also but I think the the critical thing here is, is if you want to have some kind of interest and interesting work outside the home is, is how do you build the kind of mental resilience you need that makes a firm bedrock to go forward with that way of life that's yes. really important
0: and that and that is so true and, and you know that also would drive their motivation to keep doing what they do that makes them happy yeah
1: i'd say that my my i think with my daughter i I took nearly a year off actually and that's because i was moving from hong kong to britain and i hadn't yet really lined up the job at tonight with Trevor mcdonald so so she had a there was a slightly bigger bigger amount of time at home with her but i i'm very very fortunate Mm -hmm. i'm really good relationship with my children and and partly that, that's because of my outlook, because I see them as, uh, as my children, but I see them as individuals. I see them as great people, friends, people I can communicate with, they can communicate with me. And I don't know I'd have that personally. I don't know I'd have that if I hadn't carried on working.
0: Mm, that's important, that is important. Now you, You've worked with a number of brands um, particularly in SMEs, and I know you're doing some other work within, you know, the large, you know, in, um, within, the, within the large corporate um, sector as well. What are some of the things that you do to help small brands who are just starting out to position themselves? <clears throat> excuse me, to position themselves well, so, so they can have that solid grounding to be able to take that business from that infancy stage to the point where they are attracting the right audience?
1: Well, I think that with small businesses, <clears throat> entrepreneurs who, who found a small company, an awful lot of them do it because they feel passionate about a particular thing. Um, now, I'm not saying that's not important. It is mm-hmm. a, you need to be successful but that's not quite the same as feeling passionate about creating wealth or building business that's a different thing and I think if you want to grow and to get scale you have to be able to distinguish between the two and possibly well probably you have to be able to do the two yes because it's a combination it's important to feel passionate about your product, whatever it is, maybe it's baking artisanal bread or kind of eco clothing, whatever it Greg, is. Greg's did it. Or Greg's, Greg's did it. But it's also important that you feel that you want to grow a business. Now, those two things in an ideal world would coexist, but sometimes they don't. So the person I can think of one particular example in an area I know well, um, who, who is going great guns with two artisanal breakeries, but he won't get scale because he's doing the doing and not doing strategy. And that's because he has something which is an advanced hobby. He has not thought about how he builds his business. So I would say to any small business, there are two important things. You have to make the distinction between those two things and beyond that, in fact, above it, the overarching thing is that you have to understand your reason for being, your purpose, your story. Once you understand that, you can drill down into any number of sub-stories once you gain scale, but you have to understand that at the outset, because you have to move through to another two strands, which are is enhancing your product or your service, but working out how you put your story into the public arena that will af- ultimately affect your profit margins.
0: Yeah, growth absolutely. I love that. And I love that you touched on defining your purpose because that is important. And I talk about that a lot. And I obviously wrote about that in my book as well, that you have to define your purpose. And when your purpose is, is clear in your mind, you understand that, then you can put in the effort, the resources. That's going to drive you. To achieve that purpose. Thank you for bringing that out. Are you always motivated?
1: Well, um, I I think I think I'm not always motivated, but I'm pretty much someone who who can motivate themselves fairly easily. So I think everyone's seen the speech where. Um, it's a, it's a U.S. admiral, does a commencement speech at a, at a university. And um, he talks about the importance of making your bed every day.
0: Yes, and I've seen that. I've seen that. Yeah.
1: It, it wasn't until I'd seen him make the speech that I'd realised that whatever happens to me, I've always made my bed.
0: I've I do this <laughs> thing.
1: To an unmade bed. And I think that's because, A, I define each day as another possible um, area for for achievement and b i don't want to come home to a mess because it'll mean that i've got a messy mind and therefore I can't,
0: yes you can't relax easily quickly I
1: can't relax easily and i can't prepare for the next day yes so i i think inherent in my character is a desire to see the opportunity in situations but i know i can't do that unless i've got an organized and kind of level playing field if you like
0: absolutely What's your risk? What's your risk-taking appetite like? Uh, how, how would no, you describe I, it?
1: Actually, <laughs> I give this speech next month, and and it um it's to a group of women in uh, at the Royal Geographic Society, and um they're they're very impressive women. I'm delighted to be able to do it. But the uh, I, I was asked about risk, and because people had said to me, "But you you've always been prepared to take risks. You're always taking risks." And actually, I don't think that I am. Uh, I think moving my first job, I I moved to the Western Mail in Cardiff to train as a journalist. That was risky because I was only 19 and I had to leave my family, my home. And it it wasn't like going to university, I had to go and actually work. And I didn't know anyone there. I mean, only one family.
0: That was a big risk at that time.
1: It was a very, very big risk at that time. And I was the only, at that level, I was the only non-Welsh. Um, training they'd taken on so it's a risk for the paper as well (laughs) Uh, but um, I I didn't I saw it as a risk probably but, but you know I was prepared to take it going to Fleet Street was a risk and certainly going to Sky Television was a risk but I never saw them as risks I only saw them as opportunities now I think as you get older and as you get more responsibilities it's possible that your appetite for risk might reduce because you've got to look after your children you've got to feed them clothe them educate them everything else so i would say um, i wouldn't define myself as a natural risk taker and that's because i don't see some of these things as risks
0: that's interesting that you say that linda and you know a lot of people when they think about risk they think that risk is mainly the negative, this mainly what is mainly something that could go wrong. But I like to say to them that yeah, there's always two sides to risk. There's the good side and there's the bad side. And you've talked about that a lot. The opportunities. Yeah. And that is what that is what drives you. And I love that you've, you know, touched on that and you've demonstrated through your life and your accomplishments that you are a risk taker, whether you believe it or not. And I think you're a, major, you're a major risk taker than most people out there because the things that when you don't see things as, you know, as failures or as risk in that sense, you are looking more... I was actually going to ask you this questions. So when you are about to take on a big risk, what is that thing you look at that helps you get over the line? Or what is that thing you do or focus on that gets you over the line?
1: Uh, I, I, now that I'm a bit older, I tend to assess situations a little bit more. But, I'm not prepared, but, but what I do do is I'm prepared to take the risk. But if I have to bail on something quickly, I will. Yes. I think Warren Buffett said, you've got to know when to fold.
0: You have to know when to fold, yes.
1: So it's not so scary taking the risk. When, yes. You know, if something isn't working out, like a new job or a, or a new piece of consultancy work or a project, that you can actually cut out of it. You've got a choice.
0: In good time, yes.
1: It doesn't make the risk so scary. Absolutely. The, the, the important thing is that you come out of it, I guess, with your values intact, and with your reputation intact
0: intact yes
1: and also your 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 resilience because you because you want to be prepared to try again absolutely you know, how, yes as Ali said it's not how many times you fall down it's how many times you get back up you get
0: again. up yes absolutely absolutely Linda it's been fascinating it's always fascinating talking with you and I, I love that we are taking all these experiences and working together to you know help some clients out there and it's been fascinating, you, know, you being here and sharing your story and your experience and what you do to help people build a successful story for themselves, whether it's in their personal lives or business. For what you do, Linda, if people want to reach out to you, how can they find you? What's, what means of you know communication can they reach you on?
1: Uh, they can go to my LinkedIn profile and send me a message. That's or, or it, 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 I think that's the most straightforward thing to do. Um, but I, I think it's really, just to add to, to all of this, I think it's important really to encourage people now to try and set businesses up, because we're in a post-COVID era, era and I, I really believe that, um, who was it, Napoleon once said that we were a nation of shopkeepers, it, but I don't know that that's exactly true, but we are. <laughs> We are a nation of business builders. Yes, and you know that—that's a very, in the current circumstances, that's a very valuable and very practical way to move forward.
0: Absolutely. Are you a superhero?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. No. No.
0: If okay, let me put it this way: if you were to associate yourself to any superhero that you knew while growing up, which one would it be and yeah. why? Do
1: <laughs> you know what, I really used to like Emma Peel in the Avengers as played by Diana Rigg. But that's- You know,
0: only- you, you, so kind that's of look, you, you kind of look alike, though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's only because I like the catsuit. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And that's why we like to have fun, a bit of fun on the show as well. And I throw that question in every now and then just to, you know, bring out a bit more character in your personality so people can associate that with, you know, um, th- these superheroes. Yeah. Thank you, Linda, for being here. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. And I would love us to do this again at some point, talk about a different topic. Um, it's um, uh, And there's so much we can do to help listeners out there Achieve their purpose.
1: Yeah, and And, we we need people make in business make all sorts of investments, but the most important investment you make is in yourself and how you think.
0: That is a powerful closing statement. And on that note, we'll say bye for now. Thank you so much.
1: Bye now. Bye.
0: Risk takers, if you would like to listen to more inspiring shows like this one. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at our handle, the School of Risk podcast, Apple podcast, Google podcast, Spotify, Podbean or any of the apps you listen to your podcast on so you don't miss out on future episodes. Until next time, risk takers, stay focused on your purpose and let us grow the risk taker stripe.